You're listening to audio from Mercy's Door Community Church in Mascouda, Illinois. If you'd like to get more information about Mercy's Door, we'd love for you to connect with us on Facebook or check us out at mercysdoor.org. So the thing is that this morning, if we're going to set before us a task to behold the promises of Jesus Christ about the Helper, he's talking to his disciples, he's talking to us, he's making promises about the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Counselor. He's saying he's going to come, he's going to do all these things, he's going to be all of these things. So we're going to try, it's our task this morning, I think, to just really work our way through these promises and these statements, these declarations from Jesus about the Holy Spirit. But what we're going to find, I think, is that if we engage this sincerely, that the more clearly we try to behold the Holy Spirit, it just feels like we just behold the Christ more and more fully. That the more closely we try to look at the Holy Spirit, try to understand the Holy Spirit and all that he does and his agency in the church and and all that the Lord promises that somehow trying to behold him, we end up beholding Jesus. And the nature of that makes sense because Jesus is declaring for us, and he does several times, we're going to have clarifying passages this morning, that the very function of the Holy Spirit from beginning to end is to magnify the Son. It's to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ among men. It's not the only function of the Holy Spirit, but it's the chief function of the Holy Spirit, that Christ would be magnified among men. And so, as we set about this morning trying to behold the promises of Jesus about the Holy Spirit, we're going to find that the more we look at him, the more we see Jesus. And this is not unlike the more that we look at Jesus, the more we behold the Father how Jesus is constantly deflecting attention from him and to the Father. Not my words, but the Father's. Not not my will, but the Father. Not my power, but the Father. You look at me, you see the Father. You hear my words, you hear the voice of the Father. I and the Father are one. Here we're going to be introduced this morning to the third person of the Trinity, the three-in-one God, the Holy Spirit. And the more that we look at him, similarly to how we look at Jesus and we behold the Father, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit and we're going to behold the Son. Somehow we're going to behold the, the majesty, the wonder of the unity of the triune Godhead as we look at the person and the work and the function of the Holy Spirit. Let it be so. So our passage opens this morning with Jesus saying to his disciples, If you love me... You will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And if you speak of commandments, then I think that it's important for us to think about what Jesus has to say about commandments. I mean, in the New Testament alone, between the shalls and the shall nots and the one another's and all the rest of them, we've got over a thousand commandments in the New Testament alone. And yet what Jesus had to say when inquiring tongues came against him in Matthew 22, verse 36, when they said to him, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so Jesus opens our passage this morning talking to us, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. When he was asked about the commandments, well, what is the great commandment? He said, the greatest is this. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And there's a second like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is how Jesus summarized the law, the commandments, and these simple statements. And before I go too deep into our passage this morning, I want to hold out to you that what we often believe, it's a lie, something that we often believe in the church, is that if if there weren't so many laws, if there weren't so many commandments, if there weren't 1,050 New Testament commandments, then I'd probably keep them. If it were simpler, I'd probably do it. If I could understand them, if I really knew them, I'd probably do it. But I want to remind you, church, this morning that in the Garden of Eden, there was one, first point, and that when Jesus summarized the sum of the law and the prophets, he said they all depend on this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We don't fail to obey and observe the commands of God for lack of understanding. We fail to understand and obey and observe the laws of God for lack of love. Lack of love of the Father. Lack of love of God. Jesus says declaratively, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so we want to take this sentence generally and we want to use it like a diagnostic. Like, how do I know if I love Jesus? Well, am I I following the rules? And so I'm observing my life and I'm observing your life and I'm I'm taking your obedience and your observance to the 1,050 commandments or or whatever and I'm saying that this is the evidence that you love Jesus. And on the one hand, sure. I don't want to be downcast with that view. I want to elevate that view. It's not that we look to our observance of the commandments to determine whether or not we love God. We determine, or we look to whether or not we love God to determine whether or not we are fulfilling the commandments. Because Jesus said, again, this is a little bit of a reorientation for us this morning, and we need to do this in order to make our way through this text. Jesus said, this is the great law, the great commandment, that you love the Lord your God. So, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Or one you one further, if you love me, you are obeying my commandments. Because the sum, the highest, the highest commandment is to love your God. And I am your God. Love me, obey the commandments. You will, you are. And I don't want you to twist what I'm saying. You know, I've been to some funerals where unbelievers were put in the ground, and that's always hard. And so generally on those days, you see just a lot of bad doctrine come into the room because we just don't want to believe that somebody died separated from Christ. And so we'll take some passages like this and we'll say about people, well, you know, they say God is love, and this guy, he just loved so well, and so clearly he was saved, right? Clearly he knew God. And we just kind of simplify this, where we say love of neighbor is love of God. We'll say, just look at the way that he loved his job, he loved his kid. Clearly, he had the love of God. Or we'll go the other way, and we'll say, and we'll, so we'll kind of separate love of neighbor from love of God. Or we'll go the other way and we'll say there's love of God without love of neighbor is sufficient also. Like kind of, you might have heard me just say that if I just kind of sit there 
and feel love for God, that that's the litmus test for whether or not I belong to him. So I want to look closely at Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. there, where, he said, where Jesus says that the great commandment is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the great and first commandment. There's a second like it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. When he says there's a second like it, he's talking about them being one in the same, that, that this is one way to say it, this is another way to say it, that neighbor love is love of God, and love of God is love of neighbor, that they are inseparable. There are no people who love their God and don't love their neighbor. And there are no people who love their neighbor who don't love their God. And you're like, well, hold on. What I'm saying is that you and I can do the same things for our neighbors, but only one of us, if I love the Lord and you don't love the Lord, is actually loving our neighbor. Because none of us are capable of loving our neighbor if we do not love our God. Not really. We can both bring a plate of cookies to the new neighbor that moved in next door, but only one of us can love that neighbor. Because to love our neighbor is to receive from the fullness of the love of God, to love him and to be loved by him, such that we are so filled by his love and our love for him that we are able to love others at great cost to ourselves and expecting nothing from them because we don't need it because we have him. Only the one who loves and is being loved by God can truly love their neighbor. So Jesus is talking about, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He's saying this as a declarative. You will. And the commandments are summed up in this, that the law and the prophets find their dependence on this, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. And so we're going to talk this morning about love of the Lord our God, and we're going to talk about neighbor love this morning because these are the way that Jesus summarized And if you're like, Adam, you're taking that text too far, I just want you to know that Paul understood it the same way. Romans 13, 8 to 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are all summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Galatians 5.14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is not an oversimplification. This is a great elevation of the law of God. What it says, it, it does waste the idea that I can give you a rule book or a checklist, and if you just do this and do that, then you're good. No, no, no. It must flow from love of God. You've got to actually behold him. You've got to actually be with him. You have to actually receive from him. And what will happen from that is you will keep the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. And if the sum of the law of the, and the prophets can be such that we say, let's just go with the first one, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, not one of us in our strength has ever done this. Not for one moment of your entire life have you ever loved your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You've not done it. You have failed to do this, and yet your champion, Jesus Christ, has never spent one moment of his life on earth or otherwise not loving the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so when Jesus says to his disciples, remember this is a continuation of one long discourse, that you will 
do the works that I do, and yet greater works than these will you do? He's saying, you will join me in loving your God. And from there, you will join me in loving your neighbor. And you can't do one without the other. See, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So it's interesting that as Jesus introduces the helper into the story, that is immediately after he declares over them that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Because the first thing the disciples must have thought is, no, we won't. You know, Peter's going to say to Jesus after he denies him three times, Lord, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. You know that I love you. But you also know everything which means you know that I denied you three times like you said I would in your hour of greatest need. So when Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, their thought would have been, no, we won't. We're not going to do it. We haven't been doing it, and now you're saying you're leaving. We couldn't do it while you were right here. So it naturally follows that our loving Jesus would say, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Come back to that in a second. Let's keep, let him keep speaking. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. So Jesus makes this promise to them. I'm going to send the Spirit of truth to you. I'm going to send the Helper. I'm going to send another for your sake, for your help as you carry out what I just declared, that you who love me will carry out my commandments. And then he starts speaking in first person. I'm going to send him. He dwells with you, is the first thing. You know him, for he dwells with you. You can imagine the disciples looking around. Well, where is he? Right here. I'm going to send him to you. You know him. He dwells with you. Where is he? right here. And he will be in you. He dwells with you, that's present tense, and he will be in you. So we see Jesus making a promise to them that the one who comes after him will be yet greater than him, and that he dwells among them, but he will dwell in them, in you. He, stay, he goes further now, switching to the first person. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. 
And the, one of the functions of the Holy Spirit is going to be that my spirit would dwell in you. Now, this is a confusing thing, and I don't want you guys to see me take one of the three persons of God and make him disappear. We are not saying that the Holy Spirit is Jesus or that Jesus is the Holy Spirit. What I am saying is that just as Jesus can declare, I and the Father are one, the Holy Spirit and Jesus are one. Such that when the Holy Spirit indwells the church, the Spirit of Christ indwells the church. So that His presence in you is the same as Christ's presence in you. One of the main functions of the Holy Spirit is to bring Christ near to His people. He's in you, church. Jesus. If you don't believe me, believe Him. In that day, you will know I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And Judas, not Iscariot, says to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus says to him, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. Back to what he's already said. And my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. And so here again, he doubles down on this. Now it's not even just Jesus who comes and dwells with you. It's not just the Holy Spirit who dwells. It's not just Jesus who comes and dwells. He says, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. You see, there's this unmistakable declaration from Jesus of the oneness of God. All three persons present in this promise that the strength and the power by which you will keep his commandments by your love for him is the very presence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the church, in you. Do we really get this? You see, because I see a couple of things happen. One is that we kind of isolate the Holy Spirit from Christ and from the Father when it comes to how we interact in the church. And the Holy Spirit is kind of this nebulous force that just gives, like, gifts to the church. And, like, he's just kind of like an armory for you, tools for you, in order that you can go and do things for God. The Holy Spirit is like a tool that the church wields in order to do things for God. But Jesus is talking about a person— He's talking about three persons. He's talking about their eternal presence, a forever presence in the church. This is different than a power. It's different than gifts. This word helper that he uses to describe it, it's translated as advocate or counselor. It's it's him. It's your God in you. What? In a companion text in the next chapter, John 16, 13, and 14, 
Jesus says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So we see between these two passages, I'm only borrowing because we're going to take five weeks off, so by the time I actually get to this, you'll forget what I said, and I'm preach it again. But put it all together, and Jesus is saying that the, one of the functions of the Holy Spirit, there are three functions of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is highlighting for the comfort of the saints here. He says, number one, it is to take what is mine and show it to you. Number two, it's to glorify me. And number three, it is to be your comfort. You can write it down that the three functions that Jesus holds out for the Holy Spirit is not to f- so much to fill you with power. It's not so much to give you tools. It's not so much to help you out. It is to take and show the things of Christ to you, to glorify him, and to comfort you. And to comfort you. Now, early in the beginning of this sermon, I had said to you that the more that we try to look at the Holy Spirit, it seems like the more that we see Christ. And the reason for that is as the Holy Spirit does all of the things that the Holy Spirit does, it just serves to magnify Him. Like, for example, when the Holy Spirit does the work of convicting sin in the church, for example, that's one of the things that the Holy Spirit does. You're you're pierced by your sin. Your heart is pierced by, you become aware of your sins, such that it brings you to a contrite heart and to confession and repentance. Well, as the Holy Spirit does that, you become aware of the great chasm, the great gap that Jesus had to pass in order to reconcile you to God. You glorify Him. You magnify Him. You appreciate Him. Or as the Holy Spirit does the work of filling the church with great works in the likeness of Christ, like He said that we would, they cause you to recall the great might and power of the Son who went before you, who called you into the likeness of these works by his blood. When he makes you aware, when when his spirit testifies to your spirit that you are in fact children of God, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. When his spirit testifies this to your spirit, What we see is the adoption certificate that was signed by the blood of Jesus Christ. No matter what the Holy Spirit does and his function among men on the face of the earth, it just serves to point us to glorify the Son, to behold him, to magnify him. And then as we behold him and magnify him, Jesus is like, look over here at the Father. And the Father's like, look over here at the Son. And we see this beautiful dance of unity in the figure of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit collectively as one, deflecting and reflecting glory for one another as the church just sings their praise. How, this is just so much better than a toolkit. But they ask him, so, well, you're, you're saying that The world cannot receive it because they don't know him, but you do know him. He dwells with you. He'll be with you. You say that if the Father loves you, then I will manifest myself to you. And Judas is like, well, how are you going to manifest yourself to us but not to the world? And he points back to what he said at first. Verse 23, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, 
he'll keep my word. And my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. In other words, as the church is carrying out the works of Christ on the face of the earth, those who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit see Jesus. When you guys are loving your neighbor as the hands and feet of Christ, I see Jesus. I, I observe Christ in you, and I observe Christ in me. As he lays to death the flesh, and he takes up in new life, the new life in the Spirit. See, the world can't see that. Right? Like, Amy, when you are loving folks in gospel community and the gospel of Jesus Christ is moving through you to speak comfort and peace over a brother or a sister in the room on that night, I can hear the voice of my God. But those who don't know him just see a nice lady. And this is not dissimilar from you who were once dead in your trespasses in which you once walked. You navigated this world surrounded by the glories of your king, completely unaware of him. It's not so confusing then to think that Christ will stand right in front of people, but he will not be manifest to them. But that for some, his glory is being, it's just, being screamed at them. And I just wonder whether or not we allow this to be the comfort that Jesus is trying to tell his disciples that it would be. Because we need to remember that all of this is flowing out from, let not your hearts be troubled. He had told them that he's leaving and they were freaking out, rightfully so. And he speaks to them, I will be made manifest to you. I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to the right hand of the Father, but he's greater than I. If you really understood this, then you would have rejoiced. See, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, verse 25, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things. He'll bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. And this is like, hold on to that for a minute. Think about it. They believed him when he said, I'm going away. He said, but I said to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. Remember the whole story. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. In other words, guys, if we love him, then we want him where he is. We don't want to hold on to him. We don't want to keep him here. We don't want to stick him on an earthly throne. We want him reigning at the right hand of the Father. And then we want him to come back. And we want him to rule here in the heavenly country, so you wouldn't be holding on to me on this side of things. You would be rejoicing that I go to the right hand of the Father. It's for this very reason that I came. 
Because if I go there, then you can come too. And I've told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He means Satan, the prince of the power of the air. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. See, so going full circle back to what Jesus said at the beginning, he says, you will do the works that I do. Well, what works do I do? Well, I, here at verse 30, I'll no longer um, talk much with you, for the ruler of the world is coming. He has no claim on me. I do as the Father has commanded me. What works do I do? I do as the Father has commanded me. What works will you do? You will do as I have commanded you. Well, why do I do what the Father has commanded me? Well, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Why will you do what I've commanded you so that the world may know that you love the Son? And see, when he says that we will walk in the works that he did, and when he says that if you love me, you will do my commandments, what he's talking about is following him in that which he's gone first in. Jesus has obeyed perfectly the Father on our behalf to display to the world that he loves the Father. The whole point, the Son loves the Father. Why will we follow him in the likeness of the works that he did by obeying his commandments? That we would declare to the world that we love the Son, that we love the Son. Well, Adam, we can't do that. The disciples are freaking out because they know they can't do that. And this is why Jesus is telling them the Holy Spirit only ever does this. He only ever does this, church. The Holy Spirit lives to obey the Son. He only, does, he only says what he hears. He only takes what belongs to Jesus and shows it to the church. He only glorifies him, and that serves to comfort you because he's in you. We're not talking about a grit and bear it laboring to try to, in the flesh, obey. You can't do it. We're talking about the Holy Spirit in unfailing fashion doing what he's always done as he indwells you. In John 17, verse 20, 26, Jesus is praying right before he goes to a cross. I'm just going to read you a section of this prayer. He says he's not asking God for his disciples that he's been walking with on earth only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word as the church spreads the gospel, that those who will believe, he's asking the Lord God for them. And Jesus says in verse 21, in order that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you, that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I 
in them. Jesus prays to the Father at the end of his life, let it be so that I would continue to make your great love known to them, that I would be in them, that you'd be in me, that I'd be in them, that they would be one. So when I go to a, a feeble effort this morning to try to hold out to you the oneness of our triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit in one, I'm talking about a Jesus who says, and by the union with Christ, by the Holy Spirit indwelling you, you become one with them in their oneness. And that is ultimately your security. That, that's ultimately your assurance. That's ultimately your comfort. Your comfort is that you have been made one with Christ. Verse 26 of chapter 17, I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And he says he's coming back. So when we hear him say things like, I will not leave you as orphans, it highlights for us our starting positions. Orphans, dead, destitute, fatherless. When he says that the prince of the power of the air is the ruler who is coming, who will put him on a cross, he describes for us the power under which we walked before he entered into the picture. Like the situation's bleak. It would be foolish to hear him say these things and then conclude that we need to get to work. If you're fatherless, and under the power of Satan, you're not going through good works, fix this situation. Jesus highlights the bleakness of the situation not to cause them to tremble or to assess or to evaluate or to be like, do, well, do I love him? Do I love him? Do my works show that I love him? That's not what we're talking about. Like, look at your works, yes. But Jesus is speaking this as comfort. Not to sow a seed of doubt as to whether or not you, you are his, they are his. I make this such a big point here because my concern all week as I was writing this is that if I preach this straight, because of all the cultural garbage in particularly the works-based Western world, we read this and we're just going to hear, get to work to prove how much you love Jesus. Prove it. He said this is what it would look like, so prove it. But what Jesus was saying here is, I'm going to prove it. I'm going to prove it. You do love me. And the proof will be that you observe my commands. And the power by which you will do it is the helper who I send to you. Who I send to you. He says that the ruler of the world is coming, but he has no claim on him. But I do as the Father's commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. And so if there's any kind of takeaway there, I want you guys to know that one of the ways that you will know or be able to correctly identify that it's the Holy Spirit at work in you is if you're doing those three things that I mentioned, that the taking and showing the things of Christ is the first thing, the things that belong to him, showing it to the church. Like that's one of the chief functions of the Holy Spirit that Jesus said, right? So as he's doing that, as you, like, like as I stand up here and I take the things of Christ and I show them to you, I, only the Holy Spirit can do that. 
I could say a bunch of things, but I can only say them in any effectual way by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you can only receive them by the power of the Holy Spirit. That would be thing number one. So like, man, like if I wanted to orient my life around doing the things that the Holy Spirit delights to do, I would take the things of Christ and I would show them to the church. That's why I picked this job. I would glorify the Son, that in all things that you would glorify Him, that you would learn to tell your story in a way that points to His goodness in your life and not your achievement for Him, that delights in the Jesus that you share with others, that receives more from him than you do for him. And third, that you would bring comfort to the church. And when I say the church, I mean current church and future church. You see, because the Holy Spirit is bringing new people into the church all the time. So I'm not talking so much about door-knocking evangelism, although do it. I'm talking about a life that is calling out to the sheep in the faith that the Holy Spirit will bring unto himself all of those who belong to Christ. It's an orientation of the way that you live your life that says, I, I can't do any of this, but the Holy Spirit said I'm going to do the works that Jesus did, and Jesus gathered sheep. And so we gather sheep. And there's great comfort as you do it because as you see the Lord at work, it will testify to your spirit that he is alive and at work in you. There's nothing quite so faith-building in the church as doing things that only God can do and then seeing him show up. Think about your prayer life, right? I wanted to preach this last week, I just forgot. But like when I pray, a lot of times my prayers are like, you know, last week Jesus said, ask him anything, right? When I pray, I often am asking God for things I'm intending to do anyway and I mostly believe is going to work, and I'm just kind of asking for an assist. But asking him for things that only he can do is scarier, and yet he gets all the glory when he answers it, right? So as you go out into the world and you do the works that Christ did and you obey his commands and you let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit delights to do, you will get to behold with your own eyes the Lord at work in you, and it will testify to your spirit that he's with you. And this is a great comfort. And he means this as a comfort. So I want to read this sentence back over you. Verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away, and I will come to you. He has come to you, church. It's fitting that he opened his discourse with, let not your hearts be troubled, and he wraps up the point with, let not your hearts be troubled. You know, it's 365 times in the Holy Scriptures that we read the phrase, do not be afraid. You know, that's a passage of Scripture for every day of the year that the Lord could declare over you, do not be afraid. This passage is a passage of comfort. Can you receive it as such? Can it be from comfort and confidence in the person and work of the Holy Spirit that you go out into your week this week, not to in your own strength put to death the works of the flesh, but in dependence on him to say, you said if I love you, I will 
let it be so. I mean, you, you have that kind of confidence, guys. It's only from there that you'll love your neighbor. He cares a lot about neighbor love. And we'll get around to talking about neighbor love. There'll be epistles that talk about the, how exactly you do neighbor love. It's just that we're like in a service-minded community. Half of you guys are literally willing to lay down your lives. You know, sign, signed up to serve the military. Neighbor love, there are a lot of things that can motivate it in the way that we think about it. But we'll only really love our neighbor the way that Jesus did if we love him. And you can't make yourself love him. We love because he first loved us. So if you're feeling dry towards the Lord, that's a takeaway this morning, I just want to encourage you, behold his love for you. As you behold his love for you, your love for him will be magnified. And as you love him, you will love your neighbor. I want to pray that over you this morning, but I, I, I don't want you to start like adjusting, feeling for your keys. I want you to stay real still. And let the love of the Lord wash over you as I pray for you this morning. I want you just to still your mind and to hear this read over you. Close your eyes. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Keep your eyes closed. I have made known to them, that's you, your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them.